Hi, I'm Chelsea, the Christian Nutritionist. Welcome to the Christian Health Club podcast. We are here to fire you up in spirit, mind, and body so that you can get out into the world and be everything God created you to be. Welcome to the club. Here we go. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to the club. How are you today? It has been a while since we've done a hormone episode, and so we're going to do one today. Uh, My February focus with my Christian Health Club group is hormones, and I have several guest speakers, including today's um, guest, doing some private teaching and Q&A Zooms with, uh, with my members of the Christian Health Club. So I thought a perfect way to kick off the month of uh, the month for them, and for you is with a hormone expert on the podcast. And today we have Dr. Beth Cook joining us. She is a chiropractor and wellness way practitioner. She has been in practice and seeing patients for twelve years. And Dr. Beth Cook uses the wellness way approach in her practice to help women successfully improve their hormones and overall health. The Wellness Way is a network of health restoration clinics that think and act differently to solve the health challenges that others can't. And I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. Welcome, Dr. Cook, to the Christian Health Club podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, Why don't you start by telling us more about yourself and how you Um, and more about the Wellness Way Clinics and that approach. Sure. So uh, my name is Dr. Beth Cook, and I'm a chiropractor. And I've been a chiropractor for, gosh, 12 years now, almost. No, 12 years. And um, I started with the Wellness Way because, uh, you know, as a chiropractor, when you're in chiropractic school, you're kind of in this bubble, and you think you're going to heal the world, and that chiropractic is going to solve everything everybody's problems. But when you graduate and then you go into practice, you realize that people see chiropractors differently than we see ourselves. So they see you as, you know, somebody you go see when your back hurts or your neck hurts, or if you have a knee injury or or something like that. Um, And that is not why I got into chiropractic. I wanted to help people in a very holistic way. I wanted to teach people really how to heal their bodies um, in a more natural way. And so the wellness way encompasses all of that. The, the foundation of chiropractic is about the three T's, trauma, toxins, and thoughts. And that's really what the wellness way encompasses. So um, the wellness way has many clinics across the globe, um, mostly in the U.S. And we are growing like crazy. I think COVID probably just put on the gas, you know, on our growth for sure. I think it just opened people's eyes to um, how much their health affects, you know, getting sick and and things like that. So I started loving hormones because I sort of had a personal story once I was with the wellness way. And so I just really love teaching people about more holistic health, but I also love, love, love teaching women about their hormones and how do we heal your hormones in a holistic way because I hear the craziest things from my patients um, in my practice. So, 
I hear the craziest things too. And I'm hearing them more and more lately. I guess it's because I'm I'm in those perimenopausal years. And so that's kind of my stage of life. And so I, all my friends are kind of going through that. And um, and so I don't know, that really seems to kick up the questions and all the things uh, quite a notch. And um, so, and that is another reason I wanted to do focus on it with my group in February, because we just have so many women in there with so many questions, all different stages, really with hormones, um, you know, from just their really vibrant reproductive years to perimenopausal to menopausal. Um, and it seems like at each level, there are always challenges, but we can kind of come back to root cause, uh, root cause for a lot of those things. And, um, and that's what's, that's what's missing. I'm so interested before we kind of jump in there. So you said the wellness way really, um, the approach involves, um, looking at trauma, um, toxins and thoughts. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Trauma, toxins, and thoughts. Those are our pillars. Essentially we call them the three T's. Um, so that is when I have a patient, that's kind of what we're looking at as we're looking at how much is trauma affecting them, not trauma in a, a, um, a way of like a bad experience, but in a physical way. And then thoughts, you know, how much is stress and how much of that is impacting your health and then toxicity. Toxicity is a huge category. Mm-hmm. You know, we look at deficiency and your gut and hormones and all those kinds of things. But when somebody comes into my practice, those are sort of the three things I'm thinking about when we're looking for those root causes, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. That is, um, I love that approach. All of those things are so important to consider. Um, I, let's start with testing because I think that's a, a good place to start. First of all, I think, um, I think that it's really important to test earlier than later. You know, I don't, I think a lot of women don't think about testing their hormones until, um, until maybe they're at a perimenopausal stage or going into menopause, like, oh, I need to know. But I think that it's such valuable information to know um, at all the stages, just to check in with yourself, make sure you're, you're at the right place for where you need to be. I think a lot of people take tests that don't really show what they need to know. And so um, will you share with us your opinion on what are the best kind of tests to accurately read hormone levels? Sure. I, I always say that every woman should have their hormones evaluated. You know, symptoms or no symptoms, perimenopause, menopause, cycling, every woman at some point in their life should have a hormone evaluation done. So there's three ways to check your hormones. You can check them in saliva, you can check them in blood, you can check them in urine. Saliva is kind of what's free and available for your body to use. I don't use saliva in my practice. Most practitioners that are using saliva are using it for if they're on hormone replacement therapy or they're using some kind of exogenous hormone because I want to make sure that those levels are kind of staying within range. Um, I am not using exogenous hormone, so I don't use saliva testing in my practice. Um, Blood is sort of, you know, what is your body making? What are your ovaries pumping out? What are your adrenals pumping out? What are your fat cells pumping out? That helps us to evaluate, you know, what you have available to use and and what your body is making. And then urine uh, is evaluating your metabolites. So blood is what you're making. Urine is what you've excreted. 
So those two together, in my opinion, my opinion is that that is the most comprehensive way to test your, your hormones. I have women that only do blood. I have women that only do urine. I have women that do both. Uh, I want to see both because I want to make sure that they match because you can have elevation in your blood and not in your urine, which is a problem or vice versa. And so if we have both, we have a really full picture. The urine test is done with a company called um, Precision Labs. They have a test called the Dutch test, which maybe you've heard of. And that is a great test to evaluate hormone metabolites and then how you're detoxifying your hormones, your estrogens, and as well as your adrenal glands. So really good evaluation of your adrenals and how they're functioning and how that's playing a part in your hormones. I love the Dutch test. It is Me too. <laughs> complicate, it's kind of complicated to read. <laughs> it is very complicated. But I, like, I, I do a lot the of information. Test. It is a lot of information. And I try to break it down as simple as I can for my patients. But when I did it for the first time, I was really surprised. Um, you know, there's a couple metabolites they check for hormone detoxification. And one of mine, the 4-hydroxy that we don't want to get elevated, mine was way too high. That was surprising to me. And if I had not done the Dutch test, I would never have known that. So there are some, there are, that is why I say every woman should have their hormones evaluated so that you can be empowered with that information. Right. Cause the Dutch will show you how your estrogen is detoxifying and, and, you know, you want it to go down, um, a certain pathway that is less dangerous, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, right. So right. I think that information is so helpful, um, especially, well, for all women, I was going to say, especially women concerned or have a history of, um, you know, breast cancer or something mm -hmm. like that. But for all women, it's really important. Well, that's interesting um, because um, my understanding was that saliva was a pretty good measure and that because with blood, the, the, you know, the hormones are kind of bound up with the protein. You don't get as accurate mm -hmm. of a read, but I guess if, yeah, if you're doing it, um, together with the urine, I can see how that would be a nice full picture. Yeah. Saliva definitely has its benefits. Um, I always say that no test is perfect. Every test right. has its, you know, well, weaknesses. That's the, that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. And so saliva, the, the only, the other reason I don't use saliva is that it can be a little bit inaccurate. For example, you know, they'll, they'll do studies where they take a woman who is taking progesterone, um, and depend, like a cream and depending on where she applies the cream, it affects the saliva reading. Um, so things like that saliva is, it tends to be a little bit more inaccurate. Um, so anyway, it definitely has its benefit and it has its place. I think it's important um, to keep in mind for sure. Uh, it is just, it's not my go-to. That's all. Okay. Um, I think so just, I had a friend recently who I, I think the value of doing something alongside a blood test is, I think that's kind of a critical point. I, I've had a lot of women, um, you know, go to the doctor, you know, have their hormones tested, have the the serum testing. And then the doctor's like, oh, everything looks good. You're fine. <sighs> In fact, I just had a, um, well, she's a friend and she's a client. I call her a friant, my friend <laughs> client. And, <laughs> um, and she, she came to me, um, not so much about hormones, although we did talk about hormones, but she just had some other things going on. 
Um, and, and I did a, I did a just kind of a regular blood test on her and found all kinds of signs of parasites and stuff. So we're addressing that, but with her hormones, she had taken a blood test and taken it to just kind of a GP and he's like, Oh, you're fine. Everything's fine. And she's like, but I don't feel fine. And she just ripped off all of these symptoms, you know, and, and he wanted to prescribe her, um, you know, anxiety medication or, mm-hmm. de- you know, for being depressed, just for that. And I mean, yes. in her, she had somebody else, she took a different, you know, um, hormone test and had it read. And it's like, oh my gosh, you have zero hormones. No wonder you are feeling that way. Right. And so I just want to bring this, the attention um, yeah. of women, because you know, I'm sure you see this all the time. Like you're, you're probably like a second or third stop and, and a final stop for women, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Does that, yes. is that what you 100%. find? Yes. <laughs> um, I also wanted to bring up too, that testing hormones, timing is everything. If you are not testing your hormones at the right time, then, you know, forget it. It is, it is not a valuable tool for you. So that's another thing I see. Cause you're right. I am the last stop. I'm the, I've tried everything. I'm tired of what my doctor is like giving me the runaround or, or not telling, not doing what I, I was hoping that they would do. So I'm now I'm here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I get their test and I say, okay, here's your, I see they tested your estradiol and your progesterone. Yeah. They said my estradiol and progesterone were way too low. And I'm like, what day of your cycle were you on? Oh, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'd like just started my period or it was a couple of days into my period. I'm like, well, of course your estradiol and your progesterone are low because you're on your period. They're supposed to be low. You haven't ovulated yet. You know, you haven't had that surge of hormone yet. So timing is very, very, very important. I think that some people neglect to realize that some people don't know, you know, why should you know, you would trust your doctor that they should know, but I see women that are prescribed exogenous hormone because they've been told your hormone levels are low or your, or your hormone levels are are too high and they're not taking in consideration the timing of it. You know, obviously if you're menopausal, doesn't matter. Timing is irrelevant because your hormones don't change throughout the month. But, um, I just, I think that's important to note too, that timing is really important. Yeah. Do you, um, because you're just getting a snapshot, especially if you're cycling, you're getting a snapshot of, you know, one day. Well, I think especially with the blood test, do you, right. um, so with a Dutch, do you like the cycling, um, test? I'm just, now I'm just asking mapping. personal questions. People yeah, are no, like, oh, what okay. are you talking about? But I'm like, <laughs> I'd like to know, do you, I haven't used the Dutch cycling test. Um, I haven't run that on anyone, but, um, do I, you like that one? I think it's a, I have not run the, the, the cycle mapping test. Um, I think it's a great tool if you are struggling with fertility, because okay. then we can get a really good idea of, you know, where your cycle, you know, where your hormone levels are. Are you like all over the place throughout the cycle? Because you're right. It, it is one day in your cycle. It's during a, a phase of your cycle, but you know, it could be different the next day. So um, you know, that's why doing urine with it is, is better, but, um, I, I don't use the cycle mapping test. I haven't, I have yet to do that with a patient just cause I'm always trying to, um, you know, give them the most bang for their buck. And I feel like, right. you know, looking for other root causes is probably going to be a better source of sure. information and then also, you know, better use of their money. And so, yeah, it's, it yeah. is a valuable tool though. I think mm-hmm. it can be. I just hadn't done one of those yet. Um, okay, so that's that for testing. Um, I think that's that's great for people to know. Um, what 
okay, when it comes to perimenopause and somebody is doing, you know, if, is it a good time to test or not test? I mean, when you're supposed to be fluctuating so much, how do we, how do we know for sure we're in perimenopause? How do, you know, how do we um, handle perimenopause? I'm just going straight to perimenopause, I guess, because yeah. that's what I'm on my brain. <laughs> um, what, you know, they're supposed to be fluctuating. So I think it's, it's a hard time to kind of figure out what are we supposed to be doing right now? You know, like mm-hmm. what, what's optimum right now? Because it's supposed to be fluctuating. So what would you say about that? Um, so I'll, I'll come back to my slight disagreement with you, but that's okay. That's why this, this is a great Oh, good. No. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Come back. So my, the first thing I will say is that your hormones are secondary, right? They are simply responding to their environment. So you mentioned your patient that you think she has a parasite and addressing those. So, you know, that, that parasite or whatever is going on in her gut is going to have an impact on her body's ability to make hormone, right? So your hormones are very secondary. They're simply responding to the environment that they're in. So, um, is some fluctuation normal? Yes. But here's the thing. There is no physiological test to determine quote unquote, perimenopause. I try not to use the term perimenopause. It is very widely used. So everybody knows and is familiar with that term. Um, But I like to think of perimenopause as just, you know, this is just sort of a reflection of some imbalance and deficiency that you have in your body. Because, you know, as you age, you're, if you are in menopause, right, a good way to determine that is running your FSH, your follicle stimulating hormone, as your FSH goes up, it's a feedback mechanism, right? It, it's not getting the feedback from your ovary anymore. So it just keeps going up. Um, but I can have a 50-year-old woman who's still having a cycle every month and her FSH is normal. You know, it's very low. Um, I guess my question is always, why do some women have such fluctuation and some women don't? And I think it's because you know, those hormones and the women that are having a lot of fluctuation, there's some other things probably going on that are causing those hormones to have such fluctuation. Um, you know, I, I will say it, it probably, ha- there is some normalcy to not having a cycle every month as you approach menopause because you are losing those follicles. Um, but, you know, somebody who is coming to see me that has insomnia and uh, they're just gaining a ton of weight and they have these you know, super heavy cycles. Um, that to me screams like you have inflammation. You got something underlying going on that is causing your hormones to go like just nuts, right? right. Um, so while I, I guess because there's no physiological, I, I take that back. You could probably find some PubMed studies. I was looking today for a patient and, you know, there's some on bone density and and fat accumulation and things like that. Those are some physiological parameters you could put around perimenopause, but there's no test, right? Okay. There's no like this test is is going to show us that you are in menopause because the way our bodies work is that we're either maturing a follicle, making an egg, or we're not, you know? We're either ovulating or we're not ovulating anymore because there's no more eggs to ovulate, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so it's just, I guess in menopause is really defined as, 
um, not having had a cycle for an entire year. Is, right. Is that, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so not having a cycle for a year around the age of 51, right? The average age of menopause is 51. So if you're not sure, you can always run an FSH to confirm that. So the reason why I say around the age of 51, because I see women that come to see me and they're 38, 39, 40, and they say, I, I haven't had a cycle in, in a year. I must be in menopause. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> no, you're way too young for menopause. This is called inflammation, right? The something is going on that is causing you, your cycle, your hormone levels to shut down. Um, so, you know, if you're 49, 50, 51, 52, you're not having a cycle. Yeah, totally normal. You're probably in menopause. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have a really, I mean, my cycle is spot on and regular, but I just, I feel like maybe it's just, maybe it's just age and it's not hormones. I don't know. I feel like I'm losing (laughs) muscle tone and I don't know some, there's, there's some little crack, some little things happening, you know? And, (laughs) um, and so I'm just, you know, of course I'm just going to blame it on hormones. Right. Well, um, you know, if you are approaching menopause, then your, your, your ovarian production of hormone changes. And that means your level of testosterone could change. And it could come down a little bit. I I hate admitting to the whole like, oh, well, because you're aging, you know, you lose all your hormones or you lose all your testosterone. Because I I don't think that's necessarily true. But but I think it's natural to have some like decline um, in hormone and testosterone. Mm -hmm. Um, And one thing I I try to point out to people or have them remember is that – and I'm sure we'll talk about this, but how, you know, the adrenal glands kind of um, pick up the slack as we mm-hmm. move Big into time. those, um, you, you know, menopausal years and such. And um, and so it, the health of the adrenal glands is quite important. And so I think that can be a big, when you were talking about, you know, how some people experience a, a really um, maybe a hard transition into um, into menopause and what we might you know call these menop- these perimenopausal years. Like th- mm-hmm. they can be some rougher waters for some people rather than others, and maybe part of that is due to um, y- you know just burned out adrenals or not being able to pick up the slack as they need to. Um, so just kind of tell me what you look at, um, what you're looking at when you're helping somebody with hormones. Sure. In in relation to their adrenals or just in general? Well, just, I mean, I think adrenals would maybe be one of those things that you address, yeah. but um, I guess, you know, what, what are, if somebody just comes to you and they have just kind of whacked out hormones, what, how mm-hmm. are you going to approach it? What, what are some of the things that you're going to do? Yeah. So adrenals are definitely a big part of that. You hit the nail on the head there. They are a hormone producer. So, you know, if you're somebody, especially if you're somebody who's had a hysterectomy, a a full hysterectomy, but excuse me. Um, but adrenals are going to kick in, you know, when you go into menopause, you sort of go from not so much estradiol to more estrone. Estrone becomes a more primary hormone and that estrone conversion from testosterone to estrone happens in your adrenals. And so, I always say too that, you know, this perimenopausal stage is, you know, you've, you have not taken care of yourself for a really long time. And then finally it's caught up to you because now you need your adrenals for all of that hormone production and hormones are are secondary, but they're usually what we feel, right? We, we feel that loss in muscle tone. We, we feel that mood change. We feel that, um, you know, we see that belly fat, you know, we, 
that is something that we feel. Um, we're not going to necessarily feel something like insulin resistance or, um, right. you know, like a heart issue. You don't feel those things. You we feel hot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you're not, you're not necessarily sensing those, but you can feel those hormonal changes. And so that's kind of what comes to the forefront. So back to your original question, how do I approach somebody that has hormones? They're all very different. Um, there are definitely some commonalities. So maybe I can talk to those, but yeah, adrenals is, adrenals is one that is for sure. I see patients that are just that was me. I was, I had my fourth child and I started experiencing brain fog and fatigue. And I mean, I was just wiped out and I didn't even really recognize it. Definitely somebody who like tries to push through things cause I have no choice, <laughs> but I would come to work and sit at my desk and I couldn't formulate a sentence. I couldn't like put thoughts together. It was terrible. I started developing adult acne. And when I did my Dutch, I mean, I had no free cortisol. I had no metabolized cortisol. I was a mess. And so that had a big impact on the hormonal changes that I was experiencing. So adrenals are, are important. I would say your gut is huge. Um, I, I can't tell you how many women come to see me and they're complaining about all, those, all these hormonal things. And I'm like, do you have a, you know, do you have normal form stool every day? And they're like, oh, pfft, no, definitely not. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's start there, you know. Um, so gut health is important. Sleep is huge. Um, so many women that can't fall asleep, can't stay asleep, um, toss and turn all night or just, you know, wake up feeling exhausted, even though they've been laying in that bed for eight, nine hours. Um, so sleep is huge. I think people that have poor sleep habits or, you know, they, if you're like me, I'm in that stage of life where, you know, my kids and work and husband take up so much of my time that once I get in bed, I'm like, oh, I finally get time to myself. I'm going to stay up till <laughs> 11 and watch, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? We have that sort of, um, desire to have that alone time and, and maybe the evening is it, but um, you know, so they're staying up way too late. They're missing their sleep window. Um, sleep is a big, big part of things. Um, nutrition is huge, right? What are you fueling your body with? Because I see, I do see a lot of people that come to see me that are doing the right things. You know, they're, they're eating healthy, quote unquote healthy. Um, we just have to sort of make some tweaks there. And then I see patients that are not, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of junk in their system and that is having a huge impact on their, on their hormones. Um, and then stress, I mean, stress coincides with adrenals a lot, but women that have no stress management skills, they have no boundaries. They say yes to everything. They are completely overwhelmed with life or, you know, or maybe they've been through a lot of trauma and you know, maybe they've had a divorce or a move or, you know, COVID shook everybody up, um, a loss and a loss of uh, a family member or something like that. And just kind of helping them work through that a little bit, definitely not a counselor. So it's not something that I do with my patients, but I, I help them to recognize that so that they can then address it with somebody else. But, um, those are, those are big categories. I would say if I had to add another one, I would say your liver. Um, I know me personally, that's something that I always have to keep in mind is just helping to support my liver. My liver is a little bit on the sluggish side sometimes. And so I just have to make sure that 
Um, I'm giving my liver good support, a lot of your hormone conversion and detoxification, you know, all the women that are not pooping and their, their livers aren't working well, you know, they're essentially clogging themselves up with, with hormone. No, no pun intended, but they are not able to get rid of that hormone. And then that creates an issue. So those are some, some big category areas that I would say I, I look at and target with women that come to see me that have some hormone imbalance. Yeah. I mean, those, I mean, and we literally could do a podcast on each one of those. Oh gosh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On each one of those things. Um, Yes. We like to talk about poop a lot here. Um, I do. I'm very TMI with when it comes to that, but, um, but that is a huge thing. If you are not um, eliminating your excess hormones, um, then yeah, then you, they recycle just like your toxins. Mm-hmm. If you're not eliminating your toxins, then, you know, it's yep. all recycling in your body. You're recycling hormones, you're recycling toxins, and it's just making you more toxic and mm-hmm. maybe estrogen dominant or, or whatever it might be, um, just from that. So there are, yeah, there are so many places to look. Um, but, you know, talking about, um, you know, kind of the, the age, where I am and, um, those people kind of moving into the, the menopause years and you were right, you were saying, you know, by that time of that stage of life, we, I mean, we have been taking care of families and working and I mean, just dealing with so many things, you're just so stressed out that your adrenals are like, whatever you want me to do something Forget it, sister, <laughs> you know, they're exactly just, they're just over it. And so, um, and so that, doing that Dutch test is like you were saying earlier with, um, you know, the cortisol reading the cortisol and such is so, so helpful. Um, and you know, it, it plays such a role, um, that cortisol management on your hormones. I always talk about here, kind of the order of operations. That's what, how I describe it to people. Cause mm-hmm. you know, the way I was trained was, you know, you know, gut health, which, you know, would encompass some liver and then, you know, blood sugar management mm-hmm. and, you know, and then adrenals and, and then thyroid and, and, you know, and immune kind of down the way, hormones down the way, like hormones are, they're later, they're later yeah. on that, you know, yes, they and are. so there's so many things that you really have to address before that. If you've, especially if you've covered, like you said, you know, you're eating well, you're getting some exercise, you're getting sleep. I mean, those are all critical. But if, if those aren't working, then you have to dig a little deeper into, you know, maybe, um, the adrenal stress or, or gut function or liver function. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, when you were talking about how your liver's a little sluggish earlier, it just made me think, I'm like, Ooh, I want to know what she does to help her liver. What do you, <laughs> um, <laughs> what well, do at you the, do? <laughs> at the wellness way, we use a lot of herbs. Are you familiar okay. with herbs and liquid tinctures and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple herbs that can kind of help support, um, a quote unquote sluggish liver. Like most people have heard of milk thistle. That's really to help kind of calm your liver down. People that have like high liver enzymes or, you know, they have a lot of toxicity, you know, maybe they drink too much or they've had a lot of pharmaceutical use, things like that. But um, organ grape is something that I incorporate into my daily routine um, because it just helps. It is a blood cleanser, really helps to sort of push your liver a little bit. Um, And it also helps you to eliminate excess estrogen which is uh, something that I was struggling with. And so uh, I just do that on, on a daily basis. I don't do it every single day, but 
I, I try to incorporate it into a, a routine to always have Oregon grape. That's one of many, but it is one that I'm using right now. How do you, is that a, is it a supplement? Is it a tincture? It's, yeah, it a, it's an tea? herb. It's a plant. It's in a liquid tincture. Yeah. Okay, so, so you most of the, yeah, most of the herbs that I'm giving, all of the herbs that I'm giving, with the exception of like elderberry, I'm not sure how the elderberry is extracted. Ours personal, uh, our, or the one I have on my shelf, but um, organ grape is a liquid tincture. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, okay. Well, one, so I took a lot of these questions and things we're going over today from my group. I asked them, what do you want to know? And so the, <laughs> these are all the the questions that we are, um, we're addressing today. One, um, I think is a big one for a lot of people is how not to gain weight in the post-menopausal years or, you know, once you've hit menopause, it just, um, I think a lot of women struggle with that. So what are your thoughts? Definitely. Um, so a couple things, um, first your physiology changes a little bit when you're in menopause, you, like I mentioned earlier, you go from making mostly estradiol to mostly estrone. So estradiol is going to promote that subcutaneous fat, what gives us all of our curves and is promoting fat deposition in your hips and your, you know, your glutes and things like that. Estrone tends to promote fat deposition in your abdominal area. So, you know, just naturally from a physiological perspective, you're going to increase fat deposition somewhere you don't want it when you're in menopause. Um, that being said, if you go into menopause, this is why it's so important to do testing at that stage of life. I mean, any stage of life, but that one especially, because of the transition in your hormones, you have to know where your hormone levels are at. If you are deficient, if you're hormone deficient, then it is going to be a tougher transition. Um, if you have too much hormone, it's going to be a tougher transition. So that that's one is that we have to make sure we know where your hormone levels are at so that when you transition, you don't have all this excess fat deposition in your abdominal area. Um, you also lose a little bit of leptin sensitivity when you go into menopause. Um, leptin is sort of that hormone that says, Hey, you're full, stop eating. So you're not as sensitive to it. There are things that you can take. Uh, Insulin kind of follows leptin. So if we're addressing things that help us regulate sugar better and and help regulate insulin uh, so that you're not so insulin resistant, so that can help with your leptin levels, I would say adrenals. We could talk about adrenals all day long. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, you know, adrenal, I always tell women, you know, especially if you've had a hysterectomy, if you've had a hysterectomy, full hysterectomy, don't have your ovaries, don't have your uterus. You've lost your primary producer of hormone. You've been burning the candle at both ends for a long time. So your adrenals are tanked. What's the last one? Fat. Your body is going to make fat or deposit fat so that you can make some hormones. And you you don't want to, obviously, if you don't want to gain weight, you don't want to put yourself in that boat. So making sure that you are taking care of your adrenals in an appropriate way. The Dutch is does a beautiful job of helping us do that because there's the adrenals are very complicated and how they're producing hormones and, and then what's available for us to use. So, um, and then you mentioned earlier, you know, sugar regulation, making sure 
that you are regulating sugar well? How is your body functioning metabolically? Uh, in the wellness way, our, our little slogan used to be, we don't guess, we test, because we want to see based on a test how you're functioning. I can look, look at somebody and say, mm, I bet you're insulin resistant, but sometimes I'm wrong. You know, Sometimes they are not at all. They're functioning, meta, their metabolic function is great. Um, but we don't know until you do a test. So uh, testing insulin and, and leptin, as I mentioned, testing your adrenals, um, making sure before you go into menopause, we're evaluating your hormone levels so that we can, uh, we can support them appropriately. Those are the, probably the big um, things I would, I would say um, to hit. You probably have more too, but. No, I think those are um, that. No, I was going to say the same. I was, I was going to ask you and you, you kind of addressed it that, you know, if your adrenals, um, because our fat is like an, is an endocrine organ. I mean, it Mm -hmm. is now considered an endocrine organ. Um, And so fat produces, fat becomes a way that your body produces estrogen, makes a hormone. And so if our adrenals, so yeah, like you were saying, your, your ovaries, dunzo, if your adrenals are just too tired to (laughs) deal, (laughs) then what is your, your, if your body is, you know, struggling along and wants to make you some hormones, what's it going to do? Lay down more fat because fat Mm -hmm. produces, um, becomes, you know, a way that your body makes estrogen. And so, Mm -hmm. um, again, like dialing that back to adrenal health, um, is really, is really important. Just like you were saying. Yep. And I, you know, I, I don't know, have you seen anything on this, but I recently heard this and and I also, I I was listening to a couple of experts say this and they said that the literature is not great on it, but they found it to be the case that, um, you know, estrogen helps us, um, helps us better utilize glucose. And so as we age and, you know, maybe we're producing less estrogen um, and not having that strong estrogen like we have in our cycling years, perhaps we don't manage glucose quite as well. And so that is a time of life to bring down the carbohydrates, you know, mm-hmm. be on a lower carb diet um, because because of that fact. Have you heard that, read that, agree with that? Um, I have not heard that, but it, it does make sense for, for two reasons. I was just actually looking up some research about FSH only because I have a patient coming in later and her FSH is like insanely high. And I'm like, it's supposed to go high this time of stage of life, but this high? I don't know. <laughs> and so I was looking up some research on that and it was, that makes sense because as FSH elevates, estradiol stays low, right? We see very low levels of estradiol when your FSH is high, which is normal. But it was the research was showing how elevated levels of FSH can affect fat deposition and how it increases fat deposition when your FSH goes up, which is the same as saying when estradiol goes down. Um, And then when you look at women that have things like PCOS, you know, essentially, they cannot Mm -hmm. aromatase, they can't make the estradiol happen. They can't get the testosterone to turn into estradiol. And so that sometimes can result in things like insulin resistance or insulin resistance is binding to those estrogen receptors, which is sort of the problem, but it does have a similar correlation. So that makes sense. I haven't heard that research, but that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And they said it was actually, um, 
Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, um, who was saying that, and like she said, the research isn't great, but that's what she has found. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a big protein pusher, and I like a good amount of protein. So I listen to some of her stuff. (laughs) Adequate protein. Yeah, I think so many women are under proteined. Yes. um, And it's really critical, especially like salad all day. Like, stop doing that. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Just eating salad. Put you some steak on there, sister. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Especially, you know, again, going into these um, in the menopausal years and just, you know, like I was saying earlier, I mean, I hit 47. I was like, my arm started waving back at me. I'm like, what? Mm. Like, I've never noticed that ever before. And I just kind of started noticing, you know, I don't know, more of the aging signs more. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like all of a sudden, just kind of like people say, all of a sudden your eyesight goes and you need readers one day. I don't, mm. I'm not there yet, but I just feel like people are like, all of a sudden it happens. Yeah. And that's what I felt like. I'm like, all of a sudden my arm is waving at me. What is happening <laughs> to my body? And so, um, but I think, you know, as you move into the, the menopause years that, yeah, that, you know, adequate protein more than what you think is adequate probably. Um, and you know, a little lower on the carbohydrate side, um, Mm -hmm. going to be helpful, but certainly nurturing the adrenal function, um, is critical. What about, um, you said, okay, so you were saying what about the, the testing and how critical that is. What, I mean, what is the ideal time? I mean, if you to, I mean, I know we need, it'd be great. We need to test regularly. I mean, shoot, I think everybody should have hormone tests every year. You know, there's yeah, a lot of tests we should be doing, mm-hmm. you know, like once a year, or, you know, doing all these um, different tests. But as you, as your hormones are changing um, and you're moving towards menopause, is there like a real critical, like this is when you should do it? Is it after you've missed, you know, three or four cycles or six or, or, I mean, is there a time you would say you've got to go in, you know, and really just check and see where you are? I was going to say, yes. Once you, if you're noticing that you're starting to become irregular, just for clarity's sake, you know, to see where you're at, because I, I have women that are not sure they're like, I, I had a period in October and I think I had one in February and, And it's like, okay, well, let's do some testing and see where your hormones at, because it is a critical information to know, you know, if you're, if you are in menopausal range and your FSH is is high and your estriol is low and your progesterone is low, then you shouldn't be having a cycle. Essentially, I guess from month to month that could change, but you, you should have some consistency if you're having periods that far apart. Um, but I would really say anytime, I don't think that there is a right time to test. I think that if it's somebody, you know, like you mentioned, you've noticed some of these signs of aging, that's a good time. Like, even if Mm -hmm. it's not symptoms interfering with your life, you know, the arm waving at you isn't (laughs) your your quality of life, but a life quality (laughs) issue, but, but it is something that you noticed like, Ooh, this is different. So I wonder why, why is it different? And that's always a good time to test. And, you know, most women coming to see me are hot mess and they have all kinds of symptoms, but every now and then I have somebody that comes in and says, I just want to know where my hormones are at. I want to stay on the side of prevention. You know, I saw what my mom went through. I saw what my sisters are going through. I don't want to go through that. What do my hormones look like? Awesome. Let's do it. You know? So I don't think that there is a time necessarily, but definitely if you're noticing changes in your body, Definitely if you're having symptoms um, and, you know, if you have a history in your family, uh, 
family history to me is a tiny fraction of what's going to go on with you, but it is something that you want to keep in mind for sure. Yeah. And the, and the symptoms may not be obvious. Like with my, my friend, my friend client, um, mm-hmm. she was saying, I, I wish I could remember. She had a list of, she's like, I made a list of like 25 things and I told <laughs> the doctor. And a lot of them weren't just, weren't things you would naturally associate with hormonal issues, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am very, now I am acutely aware. I'm just look. I'm looking for things like if it's off, I'm going to blame mm-hmm. on hormones, but you know, but it could yeah. be under that whole, you know, hormones are kind of that lens through which we, we see and experience life. So it's, you know, it's, it's really, um, it's huge. And I know I keep saying this a million times about the Dutch, but I, because you get a kind of a read on your adrenal health just by the cortisol, um, you, you know, those cortisol readings and such, I mean, it, you get so much bang for your buck out of mm-hmm. that test, knowing, um, what's going on with, um, that as well. So really like that. I want to, um, kind of switch a little bit here. Um, because another thing that's been coming up with, um, people I know, and I've seen over the years is somebody dealing with the effects of long-term, um, birth control pill use. Um, and can you just kind of speak to, I don't, maybe, I don't know if you have any um, patients that you've had to deal with, you, you know, or help them through kind of getting over just, you know, I, I know people that have been on the pill 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, what, and I just don't think we know the effects of really just being on it for any amount of time. But um, so both that and long-term issues of that, what do you see mm-hmm. in your practice? There's, there's actually, I mean, you can find it. There's a lot of research, um, on, you know, birth control and kind of the effects of it. And, and I'm sure there are some long-term studies as well. Um, you know, birth control is, oh, I could do a whole weekend event on this, right? Um, it is something that I think most women think is very benign, right? Like no big deal. I'm just taking birth control. Um, birth control has, can have a lot of impacts on your health for sure. And especially long-term use. I remember when I was dating my now husband, you know, this was 15 years ago, talking to my mother-in-law and she was like 50 something at the time and talking to me about birth control. And I was like, Becky, what are you doing? Why are you taking birth control? She was still on it. In yes, her fifties. Yes. Like I had a client the same way in her fifties and had been on it her whole life. And she was like, well, I don't want to get pregnant. <laughs> Becky, <laughs> I hate to tell you this, but I don't think that you're going to get pregnant. Like you're 52. Like there's, there's no way you're maturing any follicles in there anymore, you know? And you know, her son, her youngest son was in his twenties. And I I don't know, you know, she'd been on birth control, like you said, her whole, whole life, like she'd been on it for a really long time. Um, and shame on her doctor, honestly, for continuing to prescribe (laughs) birth control to a 50 some odd year old woman. You know, um, I had a patient once she was 56, 56. And she had just gone through chemo. She had colon cancer. Hmm. And so she, uh, no longer had a cycle. She went to her doctor and asked for an IUD because (gasps) she says she didn't want to take the risk of being pregnant. 
And I had to hold in all of my facial expressions and, mm-hmm. and what I wanted to say and like contain myself, bring, you know, breathe <laughs> because number one, what doctor is, is, is recommending that or, or saying yes to that, you know, you've just gone through colon cancer, the risk of, of cancer that you are adding onto the pile by putting in an IUD or hormonal IUD is, is insane, you know? And, and I, I told her, I said, your FSH is really high. Your estradiol is low. There's no way you're ovulating anymore. And she said, well, my doctor disagrees with you. Okay. Well, Maybe you're not in the right place. (laughs) Alrighty then. (laughs) Yeah. But long-term effects of being on the pill, um, you know, you can get a lot of gut issues with being on the pill for too long. Um, Yeast overgrowths and, you know, just inflammation in that gut lining that can make you more susceptible to things like Crohn's um, and ovulation, you know, birth control is an endocrine disruptor. It shuts down the communication between your brain and your ovary. Essentially that, that hormone you're taking in tells your brain, Oh, we're good. You don't need to tell the ovary to make anything because we got plenty. And so if you do that for, you know, a long period of time, you can essentially shut down that communication. You have stopped stimulating your ovary. You kind of have to get, you know, get all of that out of your system so that that communication can come back online. Um, so a lot of women experience, uh, and ovulation, they're not, they're not ovulating anymore. Some women develop things like PCOS because of that. Um, you can get cancer you can get, uh, issues. You can have chronic inflammation, birth control causes elevations in our CRP, it has an impact on our immune system and how our immune system functions. Um, it it is not good. Birth control is not good. If you can do anything possible to get yourself off birth control, and those are hard conversations that I have with my patients because some women are taking birth control because they just have insane symptoms, right? They are like, no, don't take the birth control away from me. I'm I like a crazy person when I'm not taking it. My periods are awful. They come all the time. They're painful, et cetera. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's, that is fine. I am not a, you know, all or nothing practitioner come to me and let's work on some of those inflammatory factors. Let's work on, you know, all the things that I mentioned earlier when we're trying to address hormone health, let's work on some of those things. Let's get you some herbs in your, your regimen and start bringing down some of that inflammation. And then we can work on coming off of the pill. Um, you know, if you have an IUD, then you got to, you have to make that decision to go have that removed. Um, but, and then there's women that, you know, they just, they do not want to get pregnant. They're done having babies. They're 45 and they're like, my young, my oldest is about to leave the house, you know, or whatever, a teenager. Um, I'm not doing this anymore. So I, I get that. I understand that. I have four children. I totally understand that. But I think that there are very practical ways that we can track our fertility and we can prevent pregnancy without having to put hormone inside of our body. So you should definitely, definitely think hard when you are taking birth control long term, whether it's for symptoms or whether it's for preventing pregnancy. Um, I mean, women that come to see me generally speaking, say things like, I don't want to take this. I really 
don't want to take it, but I don't know what else to do. That is a big reason why I do what I do to help women understand what that, what else you can do is because that's not talked about, right? Your OBGYN doesn't talk about, okay, let's talk about what else we can do. They write, write you your script for your birth control and walk out the door. And if that one doesn't work, they try another birth control. And if that one doesn't work, they try another birth control. You know, it's not, it's not an investigative process to figure out what else could you possibly do besides take birth control. Right. I mean, especially, you know, you're going in there because you're symptomatic because your periods are horrible and you're in pain and you're bleeding so much and you're, you know, it's very life disruptive that there are no other, it's like, here, you you can take the pill or you can take the pill. There's not, there's not a lot of other Mm -mm. avenues, options that that, that is exactly, um, yes. I mean, that's why we need people like you doing what you're doing because there's, as we talked about today, there's so, so many things to address, yes. um, you know, the, in the order of operations, you know, that, mm-hmm. that need to be addressed. Um, and before that could really, really um, manage that or be the cause of those, of those symptoms. You know, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. think um, getting our cycle is going to be a, a, maybe not a perfect experience every time you, but I mean, for sure, once I started, when I changed my diet and, you know, just started living cleaner, I mean, I do not, you know, experience as a cycle like I did in my younger years. It's so much better. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I was the same. I had horrible, horrible periods. I had bad acne. And so I was put on birth control very young for acne. I mean, I think I was 14 when I started taking birth control and I took it until I had my first child. And so and I didn't know any better, you know, and it, it wasn't until I graduated chiropractic school, got married, got pregnant. And so I sort of had this knowledge under my belt to help improve things. And I, I didn't know everything at the time, but I knew enough that that was when my, my hormones really started to change. I didn't have all the cramping anymore. And I wasn't like just changing my pad every like two, three hours, you know, I I was telling my front desk the other day, my middle school years were terrible. I would bleed through my pants like all the time. I mean, middle school is bad enough, right? Right. For a lot of reasons, but add that into things. You know, I didn't have the maturity or the knowledge or the understanding to know why. And, you know, my mom didn't either. Um, She was doing the best for me that she, she thought and she knew how. But I see a lot of young women and they're, you know, 15, 16, 17, and they come to me for those reasons. Like I throw up and I can't go to school and, you know, symptoms like that. So mm-hmm. that is, and their moms are bringing them because they say, I don't want to put her on birth control. Like mm-hmm. I saw what it did to me. I don't want her to go through that. Uh, if you don't have a parent guiding you in that direction, then it is, it is definitely more difficult. But I think also too, I just want to mention, I think that women or people in general have this perception that they're going to walk into their OB OB's office and expect advice and recommendations and let's do all these tests to figure out what's going on. And, and that's just not how it works. That is not how it works at all. And I think I see a lot of women, as you mentioned at the beginning, I'm the last stop. They're like, well, I finally came to see you because my friend told me I should come see you and my OBGYN, I've given up on them. You know, they use language like that. Like I've just given up. I've, I've decided that I, I've finally realized 
that they are not going to give me the help I need. And I am not dismissing OBGYNs. I think that they play a really important role um, in some aspects. But if you are somebody who is wanting to improve your hormones and your health, um, you, you, you have to leave their office and, and go find some, somebody else because they're not equipped to, you know, use the Dutch test even, you know, if you took your Dutch test results to your OBGYN, they would look at you cross-eyed. Right. Like, they, what is yes. this? What do I do <laughs> I don't know this? what this test is. I follow, <laughs> I saw a doctor in OBGYN on Instagram and, and she was basically, talking about how inaccurate. And I'm like, what is she talking about? The the Dutch test has lots of research behind it. Um, oh, what's his name? The guy that owns and has developed the testing is like brilliant. You know, this is not just hokey pokey stuff. This is science. You know, this is, there's research behind this, this information. It's just, I have to help patients understand that their OBGYN has a role and I have a role. They're very different roles. I'm going to test you for function. They're testing you for fires. You know, their, their job is to put out those fires. That's why they give you birth control. They don't know how to, you know, rebuild your body because you can't rebuild your body with birth control. You just, you can't, um, you can't disrupt physiology and block physiology and rebuild. You know, that's just not how it works. You have to support it and you have to, analyze it and you have to figure out what you're missing. You know, those are the steps that we take to rebuild, not blocking physiology. So I just wanted to mention that because I, I think I, I hear a lot of frustrations from, from women, like they had this expectation that their OBGYN was going to be the person that helped them and, and they weren't. Yeah, I think that is, and they're not, I mean, just, I hear this over and over, um, they're not really trained to do that. No. Um, it, I think more and more are moving in that, you know, thankfully in a, a holistic, more his, holistically minded direction. And they're in a lot of recognizing that um, what they're, you know, they're not, they don't have solutions to offer. So um, hopefully that's changing, but, um, but that's why so many holistic health professionals have, um, cropped up, you know, all over because people need help and it's, they're not finding it um, with conventional medicine. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. So you don't, you would not, the pill and I, an IUD would not be your, your go-to. Um, so do you, so birth control method, would you, you recommend tracking? Yeah, I think fertility tracking is the best thing to do. I think that if you, know when you're ovulating and you know, not only is that good for you, you know, and having clarity around your cycle and where you are and why, like, why am I, why do I have more energy today? Oh, it's because I'm, I'm in my luteal phase or, you know, um, it kind of helps you understand a little bit more about your hormone health, but, uh, you know, you will know when you could get pregnant, you can't get pregnant every day of your cycle. You know, you can only get pregnant during a certain window of time. So if you can understand that with fertility tracking, you know, that you're checking your temperature, your cervical mucus, or even the day on the calendar, then that's a more effective. Now I feel a little bit, I don't want to say hypocrite, hypocritical, but because I made my husband get a vasectomy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I am too fertile. We did fertility tracking for the whole time, you know, we were conceiving children 
And my last one, I must have not tracked properly. <laughs> so that kind of scared me a little bit. Um, but fertility tracking, you know, using um, condoms or, you know, other ways of uh, physical barriers are a, a something that you can do. Um, you know, if you are just completely opposed to any of those things, I would say, you know, birth control should you should be your last resort. You could do copper IUD. I, I feel the same about the copper IUD. I know it's not hormonal, but it's still disrupting your hormones. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that is a personal decision everybody has to make. Um, I guess my fear is that women that are like, well, I don't want to get pregnant. So what does that mean? You're going to, you're 35, you're done having babies. You're going to stay on birth control for 15 years. You know, that, that's a long time uh, to stay on birth control. So I think dialing in your body a little bit more, not only is it going to help you prevent getting pregnant and not being on birth control, but it's going to help you understand your hormones and your cycle and more about you, which is only going to benefit you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, and I don't know if we mentioned this, but being on long-term birth control also depletes you of important nutrients like yeah. vitamin C and, you know, yes. and, and the B mineral vitamins. Absorption. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, mineral, so, I mean, that's just kind of a, that's a given. So you, you really, you need to address that if you are um, on birth control. Um, okay. Um, we're almost at an hour, but do you have like five or 10 more minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, oh my gosh, I just feel like we're having this like conversation and I just looked out at the time. I'm like, oh my goodness. I told you I would just be an hour, but if you have no. just a little bit more time, because yeah. one, one major, and one major, um, thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, just your thoughts on, um, bioidentical hormones and, you know, how you handle that in the, uh, menopausal years. So, I don't prescribe bioidentical hormones, mostly because I can't. I'm a chiropractor. That My DC license doesn't allow me to do that. I have patients that come to see me that are, are on them. I will say a couple things. If you had a hysterectomy, you had a total hysterectomy, you don't have your ovaries anymore, you don't have your uterus, you don't have your cervix, then you might, you might be somebody who needs some hormonal support. I always recommend testing before. Let's do some testing. Let's see where you're at. Um, you know, your adrenals could be functioning well and you, you have enough hormone. Um, so in, th in that instance, I would say, do some testing. Let's see where you're at. Let's see the need for support. I had a patient who had hysterect total hysterectomy when she was in her four, I think she was 40. She had a huge, huge, huge fibroid and she had to have her hysterectomy. They took her ovaries cause I think they did a biopsy and they saw some, questionable cells. And so they decided to take her ovaries. Um, she had no hormones whatsoever, but she had a lot of issues in her gut. So she was having hot flashes, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, changing her clothes several times, just completely sweating out her clothes. So once we cleaned up some sort of those primary issues in her gut and other areas, then her hormone levels were able to come up a little bit. So she's Sometimes my example, I used to patients that we never had to use bioidenticals with her. Her hot flashes went away and she, you know, her biggest thing was sleep. She couldn't sleep, right? Because she was waking up so many times and changing and she was so hot. So, um, so her sleep and hot flashes improved. Um, but I do have patients that do need that support. Um, there are some over-the-counter products you can use that are not prescribed that are helpful. Um, if you are taking bioidenticals, I, 
always recommend to do the Dutch. Let's see how your hormones are metabolizing. You're taking exogenous hormone. Even though it's bioidentical, it does not come with the side effects that hormone replacement comes with for sure. Definitely recommend to do that instead, but it can still push, you know, those estrogens that are more harmful. So if you're doing bioidenticals, you should be doing a Dutch on an annual basis, maybe even six month basis to make sure that the hormones that you're taking, you are eliminating properly and they're balanced across the pathways that we eliminate them through. So uh, I'm not opposed to bioidenticals. I, I think that some people do need that support for sure. I think that there are a lot of ways we can help support your body so that your hormone levels can come up. If you still have your ovaries, then it's just a matter of supporting those ovaries, you know, so that they can produce as much hormone as possible. Sometimes the ovary production goes down. The uterus is the primary blood supply to the ovaries. So can't forget that. Um, So again, testing your ovaries and and hormones and see where they're at, see what your need for support is. That's always the the best place to start with bioidenticals. And if you're going to consider taking hormones, I have a lot of women that come to see me that are doing testosterone a lot, like testosterone injections or pellets, you know, they did the pellet. What do you think about this pellet situation? I just got this question the other day. I don't like it. I don't like it. And the only reason, not the only reason, but a big reason I don't like it is because I see the, te- I see their tests and their testosterone is insane. <laughs> like this is like three times the normal level you should have. My doctor said that that was fine. Like, well, I don't know why they said that's fine, but in my opinion, that is very dangerous. All that testosterone, not all of it. A lot of that testosterone is going to convert into estrogen. Even if you're taking progesterone with your testosterone, you're still, you're, you're putting a lot of artificial hormone in your body that it doesn't recognize, need, understand all the things, you know, and I don't know about you, maybe you could tell me what your clients say, but oftentimes the first pellet works great. And then the second pellet, eh, not so much. And then the third one, they're done. They're like, I don't feel any different. Um, I had one patient who did that and she went back and said, Hey, the pellet you gave me isn't working. They put in another one (gasps) and she started to develop facial hair. Her voice started to drop. I mean, insanity. (laughs) It's insanity. So I'm not a big fan. I I think if you are that desperate, you should do the shots. I don't recommend anybody to do any kind of testosterone, anything, but at least, the pellet you can't take out, you know, it's right it's in there, you know? Yes. So I, I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm not a fan. What, I, what would be, um, do you have any recommendations for increasing testosterone naturally? So adrenals is one, right? Supporting your adrenals. If it's an issue with stimulating hormones like LH, you can do something like tribulus. Tribulus helps to stimulate LH production, which is going to contribute to more testosterone production. I use a lot of glandulars in my practice. So like liver glandulars and um, we have glandulars that have, you know, pretty much any organ, but I have a male glandular. I'll give it to my female patients. It has male, it has testes from probably maybe a pig or a cow. I don't know. I guess I should look at that. 
Um, but in, in that sense, that seems to help women a lot. Um, testosterone, increasing testosterone is, is tricky because is it that you're not making enough? Is it that your sex hormone binding globulin is high? So all your testosterone is bound up. Is it that all of it's converting into estrogen? Um, is it that it's all converting to DHT? You know, you have to kind of look at those pathways and, and how your hormones are converting to get a complete picture to know what's going to help you the best. Um, but, you know, there are tools in all of those scenarios. You know, do you need to something to block the aromatase, keep more testosterone? Do you need to block the DHT so you can keep more testosterone? Do you need to take a little bit of DHEA for a while so that you can try to make more testosterone? You know, so there's a, there's a lot of options. Uh, when I do testing with patients, I always say, this is where we're going to start, right? This is kind of where your test is guiding me. This is where we're going to start because, I will say that is probably one of the most common symptoms I hear patients talking about low sex drive, vaginal mm-hmm. dryness, painful sex, low energy. Um, you know, they don't want their husbands to look at them, touch them. <laughs> they have no interest whatsoever. And um, that's very common. And is it because all of these women have other primary issues or is it, the testosterone? Is it something else? You know, sometimes that's hard to pinpoint, but, but all of, all of the things I mentioned, those can all help increase testosterone. Really the question is why, you know, why you're not producing testosterone? What, Mm -hmm. what, where do we need to go as far as supporting it? Mm -hmm. Another reason to test. Mm -hmm. Yes, (laughs) exactly. I mean, symptoms can guide you yeah, a little bit they can. I mean, uh, you know, in school we always learn that your health history is like eighty percent of um, what guides your treatment. You know, because it's what a patient is experiencing. But uh, symptoms, you know, fatigue is a great example. You can have fatigue for like ten different reasons. You know, right? Who knows why it's there? So we have to do a test to figure out why. Yeah, I just you don't. You don't know how many, uh, you know, what hormones you got going on unless you test. I mean, that, that you just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Oh gosh. I could ask you so many more questions, but luckily um, you're going to come visit us in the Christian health club and do some Q and a with us. And so I'm excited about that. So we'll just carry over some, some of the ones we didn't get to today to there. Um, but before you go, I have to ask you the anchor questions, which the first one is, what is an anchor meal for you? Like a go-to, you know, pretty healthy meal that you make over and over. Um, probably a quinoa salad. I mean, if I'm craving, like, I just need fresh, healthy, I will usually make a big pot of quinoa on the weekends and then, um, you know, throughout the week I'll use it to make a quinoa salad. So I'll throw bell pepper and cucumber and tomatoes and sometimes beans and, you know, just toss it in a little olive oil or avocado oil and some apple cider vinegar, some salt, and you're good to go. So that's just kind of my easy, quick, go-to healthy meal. Yeah. Also like roasted veggies. Like I just love like some roasted Brussels sprouts or roasted carrots or, um, roasted asparagus, roasted veggies are also kind of my go-to. That's not really a meal. It's more of like a side, I guess, but. <laughs> well, it can, it can be. I mean, I, um, I love, the problem is I roast some veggies. Like I can eat like an entire head of cabbage, which does not, it's not nice for my family. 
I mean, when I roast vegetables, I can just eat the house down there. Just get that little sweetness and maybe a little, maybe a little crisp in some places. Oh, they're just so good. I love roasted veggies. That's a good one. And I mean, you can just make a big, huge, you know, platter of roasted veggies and throw it with any kind of meat and then dinner's done. Right. I'm on detox right now too. So maybe that's why I'm thinking about roasted vegetables. Oh, are you? (laughs) What, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, it's a 30 day detox that I, I do every year. I take my patients through it. So at some point during your care, uh, we got to, you know, change some things and, and get you started on some of the recommendations that I'm doing. And then I take them through a detox, but, um, it's 30 days. I, I had, I've struggled with this one. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. I don't know why I just have had trouble. Um, have you been doing it for January? Yes. Yeah. I started later in January than I normally do. And then I also usually have somebody do it with me. So I finally convinced my husband to do it with me. He was all gung ho. He lasted like two days. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, I can't do this. Well, he's in oil and gas. He's very busy and he has to take clients out for lunch. And I I get it. Yeah, I get it. But it's essentially 10 days of, you know, you can have beans, lentils, quinoa, veggies, fruits. That's it. And then you can add in fish and then you can add in chicken, um, nuts and seeds. And so I'm still in the fish stage and I love fish, but it's one of those things where (laughs) I'm getting a little tired of it. So yeah. And lots of roasted veggies. (laughs) Lots of it. So that's what came to your mind. Well, I'm just finding this January has just been really tough on, um, a lot. I don't know why this, I guess, because of all the things going on in the world with COVID and, flu and stomach bugs and mm-hmm. everyone's just tired and worn out and it's, yeah. been, a, it's been kind of a weird new year to enter mm-hmm. so maybe there's a little of that going on um okay one last anchor question for you and that would be what is um an anchor bible verse a verse that um has just always been a favorite or is that just kind of is speaking to you right now um, right now. And, and of course, I don't know what happened to my brain. I cannot remember. I, I, it's in first Corinthians and I can't remember exactly what it says, but it is basically saying that, um, you know, God's word is above man's word that, you know, man's w- wisdom is, is going to falter, you know? So I, I just have been hanging on to that, knowing that, um, all the things we hear and all the, you know, the news and the politics and, and all of that is, is man's word. Right. And, yes. and God's word is above that. So try to continue to remind myself when I'm feeling like the world is going crazy. Yes. <laughs> it sure feels like it has. I can't, do you know what verse I'm talking about? I want to say it's first Corinthians. Um, um, I don't know the address. I do know what verse you're talking about, but I, okay. I do that all the time. Like I, I will, no, I know the verse, but I don't I know the address. Okay. <laughs> no, I had it the other day and I, I can't remember. That's anyway. okay. The, 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 the most important two, thing but... is the, um, the sentiment of the verse. And I think you mm-hmm. nailed it quite perfectly. And so that is really the, the thing to keep in mind and, and take with us in the perfect way, um, to wrap this up before we go that where can everybody find you if they're interested? Do you work with people virtually? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All the time. Fantastic. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, find you, what's the best way to do that? I'm on Instagram at Dr. Beth Cook. Uh, That's a good place to reach out to me. 
Um, you can always send us an email at spring at the wellnessway.com. We're the wellness way spring um, in spring, Texas. So yes, I see people in person and I see people virtually. So obviously the people in person get the benefit of chiropractic care um, because I think that's a really important part of uh, your overall health and wellness too. But um, Instagram's probably the easiest place to find me at Dr. Beth Cook or, or shoot us an email at spring at thewellnessway.com. You can always go to the wellnessway website, thewellnessway.com, and you can look up all the things about the wellness way. Okay, excellent. We'll put all the links in the show notes. So if people want to go there and um, just click and find you easily, we will do that. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today and just tell us all these wonderful things. And I mean, hormones are just, um, they're just kind of complicated and it's not, they're just not face value. It's not a face value situation. There's a lot to unravel. And um, I think that the more people understand that and understand there's uh, the good news is there's a lot you can do, you know, mm-hmm. I think people feel yes. just kind of stuck, but there's so much that you can do so much to address, to, um, to really, you know, heal and, and help balance your hormones um, naturally. And so thank you for giving us insight on that today. All right, my friends, thank you so much for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week. And I will talk to you soon. Hi, everyone. Remember that my mom is an awesome nutritionist, but she's not a doctor. The information in this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Always talk to your doctor before making changes to your nutrition or exercise program. Thanks for listening. Have a healthy and blessed week.